five. He said, uh, uh, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Well, one way you can visit, maybe not in person, but in cookie and in prayer chains and, and in placemats and different things. So uh, that's a great way to serve. So thank you guys. Sunday the 29th. Yeah. Yeah. Plainfield Boys School, the old one. Heritage Trail Correctional Facility. And we'll be out of here in time to shoot up there and... Um, uh, it is front row seat. Oh, Frank Rowe, he always said it's a front row seat to see a miracle. And it is. And you, what usually happens, they don't know you're there. They think that this is over and they've got to go back to prison life now. They've been four days getting food, prayer, fellowship, fun, and, and teaching, and, and away from the barracks. Now they're going to have to go back. But before they do, visitors come in and they seat you in the chapel. And they think they're getting marched to their barracks, but they march them to the chapel. And when they come in, they see a hundred or so folks that's there. And you start clapping and you sing when the saints come marching in as they come in. And their eyes fill with tears. And then they each have a chance to go up to the microphone and to give um, a, a talk of what Kairos meant to them and what the Lord God through the word has done to their hearts this week. So. It is a front row seat to a miracle because you see hardened, hardened criminals and men who break down and say now that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. So um, it's, a, it's a great time. All right. So thank you, guys. Are you ready? Last week, you know, we took a look at a couple of Old Testament characters, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, I, I just happened to say that... I, Whenever we get through with this, I'm going to go ahead and go into the next portion of what happened whenever he came back across the river. I don't think that we really knew what we was getting into, but we're going to go ahead and get into it because it's the word of God. So I want to give a little review for those who might not have been here and for all of us who slept a little bit and, and so that we can get caught up to where we're going to take off on the marching point this week. So we took a look at Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elijah was one of the most renowned characters in, in all of Israel. He was the great prophet. He was the one who stood upon Mount Carmel. He's the one that was the mouthpiece of God for all of these years. He's the one that even in the New Testament, he's mentioned 30 times. And that was 800 years after his death. Even Jesus, whenever he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They said, some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or John the Baptist. And, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, without a doubt, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon this confession that you've made, and of who I am, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And thou art Peter, and I'm going to give to you the keys to that kingdom of heaven, and you're going to bind and you're going to loose what we've already bound and loosed, and we're going to reveal it to you so that you can give it out. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this. But Elijah was one of the most fiery, one of the most renowned, one of the most spirit-filled, God-oriented men that there was. And uh, it came to a point to where the Lord told him, it's time to transfer. I'm going to call you home. 
I'm going to bring you to be with me, but we got to have somebody in your stead after this. We got to have someone that's going to take your place. And that one is Elisha. And so you go and you let him know. And so he went out and he found Elisha doing what he does every day. He was in the field. His, by trade, he worked on this farm. And uh, there were 12 yokes of oxen out there, and he was in the 12th one. And it says that Elijah come walking up to him. And last week I had my prophet man on. We threw it on him. And, and Elijah just walked off after he did that. And Elisha like, hey, hey, wait a minute. And he understood what was happening. He, he knew that, he, that this was the transfer and that he was going to be the next great prophet of Israel. And he said, wait a minute, though. I want... I got to do something. I want to go back home. I want to tell my folks. I want to give them a kiss goodbye. I want to I want to reminisce with them for a minute before I go. And Elijah just looked at him and said, hey, I've I've done what I've done. Basically, if you go back, you're on your own. I don't know if you will come back. How many times do people say, I know I did this. Get out of high school and go, I'll, I'll go to college later. I'm going to take a year or two off. Do you ever end up going? 90% don't. If you don't just keep rolling with it, if you don't stay with the flow, a lot of times that you get caught up in life and you get a job and then that never happens. So that's kind of what Elijah is telling Elisha. Hey, I've just put the responsibility of God on your shoulders. Um, do what you got to do. And so he takes off walking. You know what uh, Elisha does? He, he took that as the challenge. I'd better not do that. So immediately it says... That he went and he took his two oxen that was on that yoke and he offered them up as a sacrifice. He slaughtered them. He took that plow apart and he used that to be able to, to uh, offer that up with fire, those oxen, as a sacrifice to God. And uh, Peter would have problems if we did that today probably. We, we'd probably get in trouble trying to do some of these things. But he did that. You know why? Because... You can't have anything calling you back home. Just like I was saying last week about when I retired. I knew that if I was going to do the work of God, I needed to get to retire so that I can't go back. Because as long as you're with the study thing of what you're doing, you always keep that as your, as your uh, uh, mat that you can fall down on, your security blanket. I said, no, I can't do that. So... This is what Elisha did. He offered up everything. There's no turning back now. Come on in, Sarah and John. Come on in. How you doing, Sharon? Good. Good. Good to see you. And so he, he took those and offered them up as a sacrifice and kept on going. Like I said, Peter probably have trouble because they don't appreciate a good barbecue like us country folks do. But anyway, what he did was, then it says that he took those two oxen that he'd offered up and he fed all the people with it. That was symbolic of what he was going to be doing with the word of God after that. He's going to be feeding people now with the word of God instead of with these oxen and with the farm life. And so he went to school with Elijah for the next three to four years, learning, growing, seeing what he had to do and maturing in the word and in everything that he had to do. And then we get to this fantastic section of Scripture in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, if you want to turn there. That's where we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, he, as, as they went, I didn't cover it as much last time. I'll cover it a little more now. As they went, as, as they start going, they start off in Gilgal. And 
Elijah tells Elisha, I've got to go. The Lord has called me now, and I've got to go to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. That was what the city was named. He says, I've got to go to Bethel, but what I want you to do is I want you to stay here. You stay here, and I'm going to go to Bethel. And Elisha said, uh-uh, as sure as your soul lives and as sure as the Lord lives, I am following you. I am not staying here. I am sticking close beside you. So he goes with him. By the time they get to Bethel, start to settle in, Elijah says, Elisha, now I've been told that I've got to go to Jericho. And I want you to stay right here in Bethel while I go to Jericho. And he said again, nope, sure as the Lord lives and sure as your soul lives, I am going to follow you on to there. So now he follows him on to Jericho. And he gets to Jericho and a third time now he's going to say, I've got to go. The Lord wants me to cross the river. That's where he's going to take me home at. He wants me to cross the Jordan. I've got to go cross the Jordan. And Elisha says, no, I'm not staying here. I am following you. And, you know, Elijah's ministry often paralleled our Lord's ministry in a lot of ways. And that's why they said, who do men say I am? And he said, uh, Elijah. Because their ministry's paralleled. I'm thinking back of Peter after the Lord's resurrection when he's getting ready to be called up and to called home to be on the right hand of the Father, what does he say to Simon Peter? You remember when he came to him? He said three times, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. Well, then feed my sheep. Feed them. He said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Three times, wasn't it? Three times, Elijah's saying, Elisha, stay here. And feed the people. He says no. I'm following you. I'm going to follow you. So we're going to tell in a minute. Why he wanted to keep following him. But as they get ready to go this time. There's 50 sons of prophets. That was in this town. In Jericho. And they're watching what's going on. And when they come in. The, these prophets had said. Hey do you know that your master's going to be taken from you today. And he's like yeah I know. But, but shut your trap about it. I don't want you to keep reminding me about this. And so they're watching what's happening. And Elijah took his mantle and struck the Jordan. And the Jordan parted. And it stacked up on each side. And he walked across on dry ground. And they saw that. And he went over. And immediately as they're walking through there. Elijah asked Elisha, what do you want? What do you want me to depart to you before I go? What gift can I give you? And he says, I want a double portion of the spirit that you've got. This is the great prophet of Israel and you want double what I've got said, yeah I'm going to need it he said you've asked a very hard thing but if you see me whenever I go then the Lord's going to grant that but this is far above my pay grade so it's going to be his job whether he wants to give you double the spirit or not all of a sudden that chariot of fire came down with horses on fire and it split so he got to see Elijah taken up and it split between the two of them and they grabbed Elijah and they took him up in the whirlwind and he departed but as he did that mantle of the prophet Elijah fell down to the ground and Elisha was ripping his clothes because his master had been taken away and what he had just saw but then he looked and there was that mantle and he picked it up and he put it on and he came back over to the Jordan River 
And he looked at it, and there was those 50 sons of the prophets standing over there watching what he was going to do. They want to see if this guy's got what it takes. He takes that mantle of Elijah that he had got, and he come over to the river, and he smote the river, and he says, Where is the God of Elijah? And it says the river stacked up just like it did for Elijah. And it went on that side and on that side. And Elisha crossed over on dry ground. And those 50 prophets were saying, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they were saying that. And now they said, But wait. Now here's where we're going to start plowing. Pun intended. We're going to start plowing some new ground. We're going to get into some new stuff here now. So now he's, he's crossed back over. And they say, well, Elijah, maybe, maybe the Spirit of the Lord dropped him somewhere. You, he went up in that chariot of fire, but maybe that was just like they only took him halfway and they dropped him off on some mountain somewhere. And Elisha said, no, he didn't. He's gone. You know, we got new, new rows to hoe. And he said, no, we want to go look for him. He said, don't do it. But they did anyway. So those 50 prophets went out and they sent these 50 men to try to find him. Am I still on? Okay. I heard a buzz. Those 50 men went out for three days and they couldn't find him. They came back and said, he's nowhere to be found. He said, didn't I tell you? Isn't that what I told you? It was going to be useless to go out after him anyway. And that's the way it is sometimes. I mean, you, you get somebody that's mighty and that you're close to, and whenever they leave and a new guy comes into town, you're kind of like, I'm, where did he go? I want to bring him back here. But that's not the will of God in this. The will of God is now for Elisha to be the man, to carry the mantle for his people and to do some teaching. And so, uh, Miss T, I've got to find out where I'm at because I haven't even looked yet. Okay, here's where we are. I think. Okay, so now we come down. We're we back across the river, and here's where we're getting to the new ground. This is uh, verse 19 of Second Kings 2. If you're following along, if you'd turn there, verse 19 of, of Second Kings 2. Now it says that the men of the city said to Elisha, "Please notice the situation of our city. It is pleasant." As my Lord can see, but the water, it's bad. And the ground is barren. Or the, King James said the water is for naught. And the ground is barren. So okay, so these men of Jericho, these leaders of the city, they come out. And you got the new prophet. You've got the new man of God. And they've all already got a problem. And this is why we're going to see that Elisha had said, I got to follow you, Elijah. And then why he asked for a double portion. Because they had stopped in Bethel and they had stopped in Jericho. So he knew what was happening in the city. And he knew he wasn't quite prepared yet. Even though he had spent three to four years with Elijah, there was something he lacked. There was something that hadn't been done. And it's going to take a double portion of the Spirit of God to work within him to be able to, to fix the problems that these cities have. So these men, the leaders, they come out to him and they said, Oh man of God, we got a problem. Our city, as you can see, it's in a pleasant place and it's supposed to be pleasant. But we've, we've got a problem. We've got bad water. 
we got some bad water and the bad water is turned into some dry ground. And what you going to do about it, oh man of God? I bet one thing he didn't say was, hey Culligan man. You know, isn't that what the commercial says? If you got a water problem, call the Culligan man. I don't think that's what he did. They, they called the God man, Elisha now, and they said, hey, what are you going to do about our problem? Now, I'm infusing some humor here because we're getting ready to tread on some tricky ground. Are you ready to pray with me? You thought I forgot, didn't you? Usually we start out with a prayer, but I wanted to wait till we get to this point because I want the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to, to anoint our hearts to prepare us for this section of Scripture that we got. So, fathers, we humbly bow before your presence, and now we're going to open a new portion of your word that I don't know if it's ever been taught here. Some may have heard it. But this is a new portion that I have learned and a new portion that hopefully it, it is for everyone. So, Father, we pray right now. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be a part of us. That it will open up our heart and our minds to understand and to accept the teaching that you have in your word and what this section of Scripture is going to represent to us. And Father, you know, we sang a song as we prepared our hearts for this. And again, you are the one who spoke to both Ray and I. Not Ray and I speaking together, but you had him to put the song, If We Are the Body. And if we are the body, why aren't we teaching? Why aren't we going? Why aren't we telling? Why aren't we being what we're supposed to be? And you know what? That's what this, this passage is about. So I pray, Father, that, that we understand it and that we take it to heart and we become the body and we become what we're supposed to be as we as we go through this section of scripture and so father we we thank you for your word and what you're about to do in jesus name amen all right we got bad water we got a water problem in jericho and what are you going to do about it so we're going to dig deeper now the water is bad and the ground has become barren because of it What's water represented in the Bible? Let's start there. Jericho, that, that word means pleasant place. And that's why they say the, the place is pleasant. That's what Jericho means, the pleasant place. I mean, they had protection. They had a, a water source. They had everything that they needed for prosperity. But now the water has become bad. Well, what's water mean? Well, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, water is represented in the Bible as something my people have committed two evils jeremiah said they have forsaken me the fountain of living water oh what's water starting to represent starting to represent the character of the lord and who he is isn't it and his word he said they have committed two evils they've forsaken me the fountain of living water and instead they have dug cisterns from themselves Actually broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So we're talking about water and the Lord and, and the Father. He, that's living water. But people don't like good water. People, he says, like bad water. In other words, they want to store up their water. I, I provide fountains of living water, but people like bad water. They want their own water. And since... I am the source of good water. If you want your own water, they try to build a cistern. And what that is is like a well, but they would dig the hoe and put like bricks and things in there so that that would hold water. It's like an underground swimming pool. That's what a cistern is. But 
And they think that they can hold their own water. But you know what happens on some of those? They break. You ever got a hole in a swimming pool and watched it drain out? He says, whenever you stray away from me in the good water, the living water, and you build for your own place, you, you can't hold things together. That bad water is going to leak out. So that's why he said, those are the two evils when you forsake the living water and you go to your own water. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 4. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman who'd come to the well and he asked her for a drink. And she said, why are you a, a Jewish man talking to me who is a Samaritan? That's not really what's supposed to happen here. And he said, and she said, where are you going to get water at? Uh, you don't have nothing to draw with. And he says to the Samaritan woman, he said, if you knew the gift of God. And if you knew who it was who was sitting here talking to you and asking you for a drink. You would have asked me for something. You would have asked me for living water. And I'd have given you a drink of living water. This water, you drink of it, you're going to thirst again. But the water that I give you, this living water, once you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. And she said, I want some of that. I want some of that. Don't you want some of that? You want the living water? Well, the Lord continues and he moves on. And in chapter 7, he's talking to him. And he says there at about verse 37 through 39, he says, On that last day of the feast, when he was there talking with him, he stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Because from me, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking about the spirit who was to come. And the spirit hadn't yet come because the Lord Jesus hadn't yet been glorified and taken up. And that's when the spirit would come in Acts chapter 2. So now we're talking about how the Lord who is in John 1 the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And how that the word is living water but so is the Holy Spirit. And when I go and I give you this comforter. He is going to provide you with living water. And it's going to what? Does that scripture say? Flow what? From out of yourselves. And from out of your hearts. So now not only is the Lord. He said you've forsaken me and went after your own. And your, your heart is empty because your heart has holes in it. When you don't have the Lord and his word in it. And you're operating on yourself. I am the living water. When I give you the Spirit of God, He's going to provide living water for you, and it will flow out of you. Good water will flow out from you, and you will be the source of good water, not bad. Are you starting to track with me a little bit? We're going some places here with this. So you get good water through the Lord and the Holy Spirit and His Word, and then your life is to exude that, and from you flows living water to the people who are around about you. So now. You're saying how did we get here? Oh well. We're, we're going some more places okay. <clears throat> this, this also goes into a structure of something else. It goes into a structure of what the family and the home is too. In Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 20 all the way to chapter 6 and verse 4. Because there shouldn't be a chapter break there. This is one continual thought that Paul has. He's going to say this, from the source of us is living water. And it starts with, with how you raise your family and how you operate. Now, now check this out. 
we begin in chapter 5 and verse 20. Paul wants you and I to know what the will of the Lord is, how the life, the home, which reflects now to the family, to the community, to the city, and then to the nation as well, how this is all structured. And he says this, we're going to give thanks to God and everything. There's where that living water starts to exude from you when you're giving thanks to God for everything that's going on. And you're telling folks about it and you're helping them. Wives, in verse 22, submit yourselves to your husbands uh, as unto the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body which is the church, the body of Christ. And as we as the church are subject to the Lord and to his word, he says, so let the wives also to their husband. But husband, you've got a great responsibility. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So whenever you have that symbiotic relationship, when the husband loves the wife more than anything, then that creates a positive relationship to where she wants to be his helpmeet. And now you've got symbiotic, you've got, you got some good water beginning to flow out from, from you. And then he goes on, as, as he's talking and he says down there, he says that as the church is subject to Christ, so are we husbands love your wife. And then he said what? That he might sanctify and cleanse the church. Christ gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with what? By what? The word. So you see how the word helps to be good water. To help wash things. And that as so goes the family. But also so goes the church. The church is supposed to be. That good source of water. In the community. This is where we're tracking with. Them. And it also goes down into our kids. It says as he's going on now. He says children. You are to obey your parents. As they are as of right into the Lord. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. You know why it's the first commandment with promise? You ever looked at, the, at those ten commandments and when it talked about that? It said that you're to honor your father and mother. Why? What happens? You know what happens if you don't? Yes, that's the promise. There's the promise. You know why the promise is that you might live long on the earth? Because if you become a teenager in that society and you are unruly, you know what happened to you? You got stoned. They took you out in front of the camp and everybody cast stones and they stoned you and you died. You know why? Because the Lord doesn't like an unruly society. You can't have anarchy. You can't have rebellions. You can't, if when you follow his word and his teaching, then the society is a wonderful place to live in. So he says, parents, you set the proper example, kids, you obey your parents because they are in the Lord and they are teaching you the good things and this is how you're supposed to, to react in this kind of a way. That was the, the, the first commandment with a promise that you might live long <laughs> and, and enjoy the life on this earth. And so he says, don't provoke for us, don't provoke them to wrath or an evil, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So that's in the, in the word of God. And what was the word? It's the water of life, isn't it? It's good water. Okay, so now that's why this is tying in with Elisha. Now go back to 2 Kings chapter 2 to our text. And now let's look at this with a little more clarity of that going on 
And I want to give you some definitions of words of why it ties in with this. So we get back to 2 Kings chapter 2 and those leaders. They come up to, the, to Elisha and they said, hey, our city is supposed to be pleasant. It's supposed to be a good community. We're supposed to have good water, but our water is bad. And we've already talked about what the water represents now. The Lord, the word of God being filled with the spirit and living or good water flowing out from from the heart and it washes and it sanctifies and it makes clean doesn't it so now he says our water is bad Ra, Ra means bad wicked evil this this is something that's bad wicked and evil in other words the the water the teaching that is coming from those 50 prophets sons of the prophets that watched you go back and across it ain't good their teachings are against the word of God. That's why they were longing to see Elijah go and hoping you didn't get a double portion of his spirit because they are leading us astray. The teaching is wrong. The water is bad and that makes the city bad. Not only that, it makes the city barren. We got bad water and we've got barren land. You ever hear that song, Hang On Sloopy? Sloopy, hang on. Well, hang on now and buckle your seatbelts, okay? Because I want to tell you what he's talking about when the men say this to him. We get ready. The rubber's hitting the road now, so strap it on tight. Here's the Strong's definition of the word for barren. Barren is the word shakal. And it means to be barren, all right, but not in the sense that we think of. It comes from a primitive root word that means properly to miscarry to suffer abortion, or by analogy, to be bereaved, then it can be used either literally or figuratively as a figure of speech to be bereaved of your children, to be barren, to miscarry, to be robbed of your children, and to spoil. In other words, we're losing our kids. We've got bad water. We've got bad teaching. You see, that they worship Baal, and Molech, these were, these were gods who wanted them to, the, of demons, who wanted them to offer their children up to them in fire. And when you don't train your kids in the nurture of the admonition of the Lord, like we just saw, and you train them up into bad, wicked, and evil teachings, then the land becomes barren. You're, you're losing your generation. You're losing your kids, not only physically by offering them up, but spiritually as well, because now you're not teaching them about the Lord. You're, you're letting them have anything that the heart desires and leading them astray. So we got bad water instead of good water in our land and in our city. And that is causing us to be barren. We're losing our kids because of this. You know, God warned them. He warned them before they ever crossed that same Jordan River. That's why they crossed back and forth across the Jordan. Because they had to go back and get reset for what God told them to do whenever they were going to cross the river. Before he did, Moses, before he was taken away, he stood there and he told them and he talked in Deuteronomy and he talked in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy 12, he said this, Do you not know why I am destroying the nations that are there ahead of you and running them out? I am destroying them because... They do evil and wicked things, and they even burn 
their sons and daughter to the fire of their gods. Leviticus chapter 18. He said, when you cross over the river, you are not to do the things that those people do. You're not to act like them. You're not to say, what do your gods like for you to do? You are to worship me and the things that I have just told you again before you crossed the river. So when Elisha crosses the river, he's got to start resetting them on the word of God and how they're supposed to be living. And he crosses back the river and he's reminding them of Leviticus 18 where it says, you know, it's not proper for a man to be with a man and a woman to be with a woman or in an animal. This is perversion in the country. Don't defile yourselves with these things or their teachings. Now look at verse 25. What's verse 25 say? For the what? Land. See, the land's barren because of bad water. For the land is defiled. Therefore, it is what is practiced and taught. God says, I will visit the land with punishment. The land shall vomit out its inhabitants, and it will be barren. But you, you are to keep my commands. You're to have good water, living water flowing from you. And you know what? That living water makes a big difference in the community and the society and that's what you're supposed to be when you go over there and you're not supposed to act like they do you know why because you don't want to lose your children psalm 127 verse 3 to 5 says your children are a heritage to you from the lord he's gave them to you and your offspring are a reward from him to you they're not to be given up to other gods Jesus said in Matthew 18.10, See that you don't despise any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. you imagine that? Those that are being destroyed because we're not giving good water, we're not providing that in this land. The angels of those kids from unborn to teenage are always before the face of the Father telling him what's going on. So, but the Lord said in Deuteronomy, this is what you're supposed to do then. Don't act like them and do those things. Here's what you're supposed to do. Deuteronomy 6, he says, You are to love me, the Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Love me with everything that you have. And then you are to teach your children. You are to teach them diligently my word, the good water, so that good water flows out through them and through the land. I want you to teach them when you lie down. I want you to teach them whenever you rise up. I want you to teach them whenever you eat a meal. I want you to teach them wherever you're at. I want you to write my word on the doorposts when you go in and on when you go out so that as you go in this house and when you go out this house, you are seeing my word that is the heritage i want you to have not the heritage of the gods that i am running out before you so you don't call when you got a problem in the land and you got bad water running through the land and the land is becoming barren you don't call the culligan man you call the word of god you call the church you call the people of god you call the ministers of god they are the ones that makes the difference in the community so now we get up there to verse 20. We're still in 2 Kings 2, okay? 2 Kings 2, we're still in verse 20 now. 
Now, here's what, how are we going to fix the problem, Elisha? I got bad water in a barren land, and what I got to do to fix the problem? So Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a bowl, and I want you to put a bunch of salt in it and bring it to me. Not just any bowl, I want a new bowl. And you know what? It's not your average bowl. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this word, sel-o-keef. I think is as close as I can get. Do you know that there's bowls all through the Old Testament? But this word, this is the only time it's used. This is a unique, this is a separate, this is a different thing. This is not your average bowl. You know what this bowl is? It's a salt shaker. It's a salt shaker. It's something meant and made to hold salt. And I want it to be new. I want it to be a new one, and I want you to load it with salt. Why, Elisha? Where are you going with this? What are you trying to tell us? Well, he says this. He says, follow me, and we're going to go up to the mouth, and we're going to go up to the source of the bad water, and we're going to take that salt, and we're going to throw it into the source of the bad water, and we're going to heal the water. And it's going to be good from now on. You know the word there for heal is the word for physician. Who's the great physician? So where are we getting our good water at? From the Lord. And it's going to flow from us like living water, isn't it? You know what Jesus said about us in Matthew chapter 5? You remember that? Well, In, uh, in 2 Timothy 2, it's wrote that we are now vessels of the Lord. That whenever you become in Christ, you are now a new creature, a new creation. And you are a vessel who is created for honor and to bring good water. So that the Lord, whenever he was here and he started those beautiful attitudes, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And he, he goes down and you get down there and he says what? In verse 13, you are to be what of the earth? You're to be the salt of the earth. You are what flavors the earth. That living water, the salt that you are, flows out and creates a good land, good water that is not barren and we're not losing our kids. It's going to create, you are the salt of the earth. But you know what? If the salt loses its flavor and becomes bad, what? It's not good for anything, is it? But to be poured out and trampled underfoot they had bad salt which means those 50 prophets hadn't been the salt of the earth like they were supposed to be so you got bad teaching the water going out that was there and now we're losing everybody so the illustration that Elisha is given remember everything that was written in that old testament was physical it was real it happened but there's a spiritual meaning behind it the reason that the Holy Spirit put it in this word of God for us. And the meaning behind it in spiritual is this. You and I are the salt of the earth. We're supposed to have the living water flowing out from us. And we are what makes the communities and the country to be good and prosperous. And to have good water and not bad water. And you know what we're supposed to do? Be born again. Get a, be a new vessel, a new creature in Christ filled with salt because you're the salt of the earth. And what do you got to do? You go to the source of the water. We've got to go and tell those who try to tell us what to do. Try to say, 
that is not right. We got to go back to the funding principles. People are still going to do what they want to do. So if they want to do those things, that's between them and God. But the laws of the land can't be formed around what people want to do. It's got to be formed around what the Lord says that we're going to do if we're going to be a great nation. You still can do what you want to do. Let him that stole steal no more. People still steal, right? Even though there's a law and you can get in trouble for it. You make the laws about what is right in the word of God. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. So you, you make the law right. You still got your choice. That's between you and God. And if you want to do whatever, you do it. And that's between you and God. But the, but the source that flows out has to be good. The source has to be good. And so he takes that salt in a new shaker and he throws it on the source and he said, you be healed, the Lord, the great physician, the healer, you be healed. And it says from that point forward, the water was healed and it is to this very day. That's what I pray for all of us to become salt shakers that throws the salt at the sources. Let's flavor our communities. Let's flavor our children. Let's no longer lose our children to the world, but teach them and nurture them in the admonition of the Lord and in his word in the right way. It's us who have the responsibility to make the change that needs to be happening here. So as the worship team returns and we take this, I don't think we bargained for all of that when we wanted to see what, was, what this whole new bowl and salt was. But this is where it went. This is what the Lord wanted us to know. And, and, but but you got to be a, a new shaker. you got to have the new bowl. And, and Paul described how that happened with him. He was on the road to Damascus. He had bad water in him. And he was trying to make bad water in the whole nation. He was, he was jailing Christians. He was putting them to death. He held the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen, the man of God, the first martyr that we had. He was there and held those. He got written permission to go into jail and to do things to Christian and other countries. He's on a horse riding to Damascus. And on that road, the Lord Jesus came to him and appeared and knocked him off of the horse. And he fell to the ground. He was blinded by that light. And the Lord spoke to him and said, man, you you got to get rid of your bad water. It's hard for you to keep kicking against me. You know what? you got to join in. Go into town and it will be told you what you must do. And so he goes on into town and, and he's there for three days praying. And the Lord comes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I need you to go to uh, this man named Saul. I need you to go into the house there. He's there waiting on you. And I, I want you to, to, to get him. He said, no, I can't do that. Well, why? He said, I've heard about this guy. He's out here to kill us. He's going to, he's going to take us to jail. The Lord said no because he's what? A chosen vessel. He's a chosen vessel for me. He's going to be a new vessel. And he's going to now have salt and living water instead of bad water and bad teaching. And so Ananias goes and he says, Brother Saul, why are you still sitting down there? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you've not done that, this is where we start. you got to be a new shaker. 
You got to be a new creature in Christ. You got to rise and do this. And then we get going with now teaching the word in truth and in love and making a difference and not losing our children and creating a heritage. It says that they are a heritage and a reward to us. We got to leave them a heritage in this country so that they have a country. And that's what we got to do. But it starts with us. And it starts with being salt and living water in our lives. And that's the message of Elisha and what he had to do. And why he needed a double portion of the Lord's Spirit to accomplish it. So let's pray. And Father, we thank you so much for this example of your word. And it's convicted my heart to, to be even more of what you want. To be salt and to be living water to to those who come in contact and to try to go to sources and try to make a change so that we don't lose our precious youngins. We don't let them follow the, the false teachings and get away with it. We want them to know you, Father. So, Father, we just pray all of these things. We pray that you, you make us a new bowl. Fill us with salt. Allow us to be what you want us to be. And may a double portion of your spirit be upon us so that we can accomplish this. And we ask it mightily in the name of Jesus. Amen.